0: How will the human brain change in 2050? And how is that linked to artificial intelligence? That's the topic I explore in this interview. Once again, I'm talking to Matt Hudson, who is the author of the book, The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking. He's also a science journalist. He holds a BS in cognitive neuroscience and an MS in science writing from MIT. He's written for many, many magazines, science magazines over the years, and as always, Please subscribe and join this quest for self-knowledge. And before we dive into it, just a quick thank you to the channel sponsor, Crypto.com, the provider of these debit cards that you can load with cryptocurrency or regular money. Get a 2% cashback on all your purchases or even a 3% cashback and a free $50. Just follow the link in the show notes. Without further ado, I bring you once again, Matt Hudson.
1: Matt, welcome back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I had so awesome, much fun awesome. last time. I just had to come back. Right, right. Yeah, it was great having you. Uh, uh-huh. you
0: I saw you, you um, partook in a conference in Spain. Was it Barcelona?
1: Yeah, uh, Madrid. Right, okay. So you went
0: to this conference in Madrid with a bunch of uh, neuroscientists and, yeah. uh, and AI uh, researchers yeah. as well. What did you learn? Or let me ask you this question, actually. How will AI affect our lives in, let's call it 2050?
1: 2050, well, that's a long way out. Um, We might be alive. (laughs) Yeah, who knows if we're still alive in 2050. Um, Let's see. Well, one thing it will do is it will change the workforce. That's something that uh, pretty much everyone agrees on. Um, let see, one way to sort of cut up the, the workforce is into four quadrants. Um, there's sort of, um, sort of more mental things and more physical things on one dimension, and the other dimension is more uh, routine tasks and then less routine tasks. Um, so I think that one of the first types of jobs to be automated, or at least types of tasks within jobs, are the more routine cognitive things. Um, Things just like filing paperwork or filling out forms or things that involve sort of databases and pattern matching and things like that. Um, And there's also been some routine physical things that have already been automated on assembly lines and things like that. Um, That's actually kind of can be more difficult because robots just picking up things in a warehouse and putting them into a box. just the magic of the human hand, um, I'm talking about magic again, but the sort of the wondrous dexterity and intelligence involved in just picking up some novel object with five fingers and putting it from here to there. Um, there's actually a lot of intelligence that we've honed over you know, many generations, but trying to get a, a computer to figure out how to do that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's happening. Um, the less routine things, um, cognitive there's some some there's some trends in that um, uh, AI is helping scientists it's helping uh, uh, investors um, it's helping helping doctors make diagnoses um, and then the the final thing is the less routine cognitive things like creativity um, there's some progress in that uh, like in music for instance my master's thesis was on AI and creativity um, and I I Profiled this uh, a researcher who designed uh, something called Emmy experiments in musical intelligence. Uh, His name is David Cope at UC Santa Cruz, Um, and so Emmy could uh, look at the compositions from one composer and then produce turn out new things in the style of that composer that could fool people. Um, So I would play these play these pieces of music for. like one person was in a, a Pulitzer Prize winning composer and he couldn't tell the difference between the things actually I was going composed to say by a composer. But no, <laughs> <Okay>. no. <laughs> like these would fool anyone wow. who couldn't tell the difference between the human composition and the computer compositions. But music is relatively easy. It'll be a while before we have AI write a novel, but we are getting these sort of text generation algorithms that can write things that are not complete gibberish. So there is progress there. Did you oh. did
0: you see that? There's a short film. You could see it on YouTube. I think it's called. I know it's called Sunspring. Have, have you seen that?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, so, the, so the script, script is written by, by yeah.
0: The script is written by an AI that calls itself Benjamin for some reason. I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure why that is. But it's really it's really horrible. But
1: it is it is a movie
0: that right, sort the, of works.
1: The guy from Silicon Valley was he reading? Was he one of the parts?
0: Uh, he, I, I, I haven't actually seen the full movie Silicon Valley, but I actually just saw him, uh, one of the guys from that movie, um, in Erewhon a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but yeah.
1: But yeah, yeah, so writing scripts. Um, yeah, so. Uh, okay,
0: so, so, okay, so, but here's another thing. Something, one thing is, um, you and I are listening to the cutting edge scientists that do research in these fields. I, I think, I suspect that there may be a lot of areas where we could use AI to improve mm-hmm. these areas radically, but there's sort of an, an innate opposition or resistance in humans to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. one example could just be surveillance, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I used to, the rebellion... The rebellious teen in me used to be very much against putting um, cc crap cameras everywhere right, mm-hmm. but i mean in some situations I'm, I would probably be for it definitely but but i do i mean once when you go to these supermarkets um what is it Amazon just bought uh, whole foods right they're yeah. actually every every little movement you do really is captured on camera right yeah and I I, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Don't you think our, yeah, just as our our ideas, maybe our magical beliefs, even in some cases, Mm -hmm. will sort of impede parts of that development?
1: Yeah, so there are several areas in which people are fearful of the encroachment of AI and automation um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes even antagonistic toward it. Um, Surveillance is one, one realm. Um, because people well, we like our, our privacy um, and automation is able to connect a lot of the dots that we, that we don't want connected. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for instance, uh, like your buying behavior um, or if you go online, the, the behavior that is measured by your sort of browsing history or the things you do on Facebook, sort of a, a kind of, of surveillance, um, so there's some work showing that just counting the things that you like on Facebook um, software can pretty easily determine things like your sexuality your political beliefs, um, your sort of drug use, um, whether your parents were divorced when you were 21, right. these kind of things uh, with just minimal information about you. So it's putting together all these dots that, you know, you think you're just roaming around the internet anonymously. Um, but it is collecting things uh, and maybe even figuring things out about you that you don't even know. Right. Um, and so there are things that, you know, we don't want those dots connected. Uh, we want to live our autonomous lives. We don't want everyone knowing about our inner worlds um, even better than we do um, or even just sort of not as well as we do. Right. Um, uh, I, I mean,
0: I mean, I guess I sort of understand the impulse and, and maybe feel a little smidgen of it even uh, every now and then. Uh, but But I also think that most people meet this with disbelief. They don't really believe that this algorithm knows more about you yeah. than you do.
1: Yeah. I would say even if you don't believe that you can still see it as a tool for other people to use to figure out something about you um, which can still be threatening um, even just something like um, okay let's go back to to cameras with a facial recognition um, so if we have cameras everywhere on the streets um, and they can recognize us it might piece together your uh, for instance, you might have a, a sort of a work persona and then a, a weekend persona where maybe you work at a bank during the day and then at night you go to, I don't know, sex parties or something. Right. Um, which something that may, there might not be anything morally wrong with that, but you just would prefer it to be separate from your daily life um, because, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. Uh, and people might be scared that if there's facial recognition everywhere, Then it will connect those things, and so if someone looks you up, they'll say, "Oh, this person also does this," Um, and so it sort of encroaches on our freedoms. Um, Maybe you can still physically do these things, and it's not against the law, but you might feel more hesitant to do certain things Um, Hmm. or to attend rallies, political rallies, or to protest certain things because you're scared that that will affect other parts of your life. So even if the even if there isn't some uh, omniscient AI that is understanding this better than we are, the AI, AI tools can still um, pick up clues that we, we leave about our lives um, that other people can can look at and learn things about us that maybe we don't uh, right. want to share. So,
0: so, in, so just to contrast that, I mean, you you briefly mentioned um, how this could affect the the medical industry as well, or the the, the whole medical industry right. essentially, I mean, I was pretty stunned when I heard that um, i don't was this Microsoft Watson they tested out, but it could predict um, it could predict, but just based on an algorithm based on symptomology, mm. It could predict with ninety five percent accuracy whether people were suicidal when they left the hospital, mm. as opposed to the doctors. That didn't even consider, like, th- they didn't think about when, when they, um, you know, discharged yeah. some patient, well, is, 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 are they suicidal? But, 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 why on earth aren't we seeing? Why aren't all the hospitals and doctors using this?
1: That's yeah, insane. so, yeah, so the 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 suicide um, prediction research that I'm aware of, it's not that temporally accurate. So it can't say, oh, this person is probably going to attempt suicide within, you know, the next day. Um, it's sort of, it can predict within the next year, maybe. The um, uh, person years. has an elevated, <laughs> okay. has maybe a 10 times, even if it, even if it can predict within the next year, the person has a 10 times elevated risk of committing suicide. That's still 10 times like 1% or something. That's still, the person is still probably not going to commit suicide or attempt suicide. Um, and what are you going to do? Lock that person up for a year? Um, so it's not like there's this magical algorithm that can we can suddenly implement and and save um, that many lives. You still have to figure out okay, what is a you know what do we do with this information? So this person has an elevated risk over the coming several months. You hmm. still, um, it's not like a silver bullet. You still need to integrate that into the rest of the care uh, the care package. And okay, so how do we? Um, you know what? What do we do with this information? How do we um, treat this person? Um, so, it's algorithms can um, can work as sort of a, an adjunct, or um, they can augment the the judgment of right. I, I guess
0: this was just an example of something that I happen to remember, right. but I but I can't help thinking. So, so my my uncle is a is a surgeon, right? But but when he consults new patients or potential patients, they look for clusters of symptoms. That's the first step, right? And and, and certain clusters of symptoms can can sort of point the doctor, yeah, in a direction, right? Yeah. But the, there's really no evidence, as far as I know, that humans are better at this than algorithms. On the contrary, I say. Yeah, that's my. I mean, just strikes me as absurd that we're not. I mean, why aren't we pouring billions yes. of dollars into that? Yeah.
1: So that that brings up the what we sort of touched on earlier about people's fear of of algorithms. So there is a lot of work going back even decades showing that even very simple algorithms that you might not even consider AI um, can be better than clinicians at predicting certain outcomes, whether it's <laughs> um, student performance, job performance. Um, recidivism uh, criminal recidivism uh, certain medical outcomes diagnoses um, you might just take like two pieces of data like someone's you know if it's medical like their blood pressure and their age or something like that and that can do a better job of predicting certain things than a doctor with a full full workout because doctors have have certain biases and they miss certain things and they overweight certain factors and um, So anyway, there's just a lot of cases where where algorithms or simple rule-based systems are better than than clinical expertise. Um, And one of the reasons we don't use that, we still don't rely on those as much as we should, is um, something called, well, some researchers call it algorithm aversion. Um, So they've done some research on this and, and showing that when people are given the chance to rely on algorithms, even if they've been shown to work better than their own judgment, they still don't rely on the algorithms as much as they should. Um, because they expect the algorithms to be perfect and if the algorithm is not absolutely perfect, then they dismiss it and they just go with their own judgment. Maybe because they think that they can learn better or they can see um, outliers better than the algorithm. It's not I mean, quite clear.
0: It's tempting so to do draw parallels that. to illusion of control again,
1: right? Yes,
0: yeah. Especially Uh, if you have a nice diploma and uh, (laughs) wearing a a white coat and stuff, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. But but I guess I sort of um, uh, took us uh, on a detour from the brain in in 2050. (laughs) The brain in 2050.
1: (laughs) Are are we going to merge with AI? Yes. And I think we already have to some degree. Um, How many friends' phone numbers can you remember right now? None. Exactly. So this thing right here, this is now part of my brain. Like this, this is sort of like we're merged. Uh, I've outsourced certain things to this so that I can focus on other things. Um, And so that's gonna keep happening. Um, We can Google things, we can look things up on our computers and and our documents and our archives and our email and things like this. Um, Eventually we will have uh, augmented reality. So we'll wear glasses that the certain like pop-up displays. So you don't even have to remember your friend's names anymore. It'll, just, it'll, it'll, it'll recognize their faces and then will pop up Bob. Oh, hi, Bob. Um, oh my God. I haven't heard that one before, but yeah. I actually, I don't know if it'll go that far. Um, but it'll, we will continue let's take it to, all the way. yeah, but we will continue to outsource a lot of these kinds of everyday tasks and then more, um, more involved things. Um, even just using a, a paper notebook, we tend to sketch out ideas. There'll be more advanced uh, software for sketching out and organize idea, organizing ideas, whether it's uh, visual or, or linguistic or musical, or things like that. Um, and then it'll start to suggest new ideas to us. Uh, so some of these writing algorithms, they can, you give it a sentence and then it continues the thought. Um, sorry, were you gonna say something?
0: No, no, I, 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 I was, I was thinking several things. I, I mean, some of these things, I, I mean, in theory, I could just have my phone, we're talking in the future here, right? We could just have some yeah. phone, download some app, and it could just, it, it could just know based on a few simple algorithms such as the medical ones you, you described a minute ago, we just know what's, what's the most healthy thing for him to eat. you can even tell me when to eat. You, yeah. Maybe my smart home could prepare the food for me. I mean, we just have stuff uh, being shipped here that I would never even deal with mm. grocery shopping. Right? Yeah. Just have yeah. the AI inform me that, that there is no toilet up. paper at the moment. But that's sort of <laughs> besides than the, than the point. But, but, but again, I can't help thinking There's a lot of resistance in many people against some of these things. I mean, it quickly turns into a a Black Mirror episode squared, right? And we don't want that. I I don't know. I don't think I would. So let's say you could buy a contact lens, a set of contact lenses that have all the same functionalities as the best smartphone around right now. Would you do it? Would you wear them every day?
1: Um... I think it would require more capabilities than my smartphone has at the moment. Um, Because right now it's not such a huge hindrance to pull the phone out of my pocket. Um, And I can imagine downsides to having it ever present. Um, Whether it's coming to rely on it too much or to be distracted by it with things popping up when I don't want them to, or even just people being suspicious that I might be distracted by it or thinking about something else or looking something up or using it to record them or something like that um so i think at, at the moment that it's just not worth it um, but i i can imagine with much better um if there was some killer app um for the for the contacts then yeah
0: okay but so but 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 that's that's the thing so when what you described it totally makes sense to me uh, what you described there but I can't help think. So let's say the killer app is there. Let's say mm-hmm. the, I mean, you can even have um primitive versions of this already exist, where you um, applications that sort of measure people's movements. You could tell mm-hmm. their uh, mental state mm-hmm. uh, with at least with a yeah. high statistical probability. If you could have that in your eye, and it, it wouldn't just tell you Bob. It would tell you Bob. He's happy right now, and it you know, can tell you all sorts of things about, about your friends. And, yeah. and as you said, I think this is a brilliant example of something that I haven't heard mentioned before, but you wouldn't – there's a lot of things that you wouldn't have to remember. We're sort of already facing that, but we that could really be taken to the extremes. And ultimately, it, it would change – probably change our, the structure of our brains.
1: Yeah. Um, so there is – so the idea of, of the sort of body reading or emotion reading kind of algorithms um on a very simple level there there are things like that there are apps like that for people with autism um, that can wear they can wear augmented reality glasses and it can just very roughly detect this person is happy or angry wow. sort of positive or negative mood and then like a face appears like a smiley face or a frowny face, um, <laughs> and the idea is that it helps them learn to recognize facial expressions um, to recognize when someone is is in a positive or a negative mood, and that might actually help them rewire their brains to be able to recognize those kinds of things on their own. Um, and so then if we have a more advanced version that can you know differentiate with reliability, which is really which is really tough, like more intricate detail about people's mental states um that could either help us become better at recognizing those things or it could make us worse i'm not i'm not sure which would happen maybe Um, both i guess yeah but i'm also skeptical of its ability to do that right now um like there's some some work by um uh by people at Boston College on facial expressions and, and whether motions are universal. And she has one, um, this researcher has one, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she has one uh, paper where she has a picture of uh, a tennis player, I think it's Venus Williams, sort of zoomed in and her face is like in pain and it looks like she's being tormented. And then you zoom out and she's holding and she's like this. She's actually <laughs> celebrating. So just looking at like the, a facial expression, that's not enough to tell you what the person is feeling. You have to look at the context, you have to look at maybe to know the person well. Um, there's all these things that it, even people are, are not always good at and it's not unclear whether AI could be better than us at that um, or right. whether that will be out of its reach for a long time. Right.
0: Okay, so I'm, I've just become uh, mindful of your time, Matt. I, 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 one, one final question about AI. So we, so we talked about some different areas, right, where we might see applications. We're already seeing early applications of it. What, what do you think, so let's say 30 years from now, what do you think it would be like the most widely embraced use of AI? Or,
1: I, I mean, yeah. Mm, voice assistance? probably one of them, um, things like Siri and Alexa, and um, when they gain more capabilities, so it's not just like, like what time is it or or when is the you know who won the game, um, when you can carry on a conversation and with sort of follow up steps like, um, uh, who who should I ask about this problem or could you set up a, you know a meeting with that where it's more of a collaborative thing and not just like very rudimentary kinds of things. Um, I could see that being, because it's a very natural interface for us, just language. Um, So I could see that being a ubiquitous technology, um, sort of like Jarvis in in Iron Man, um, where it could be on your phone or in your home or in your ear or in your car something that's just always there and you don't need to think about like how to program it or, or things like that. You can just talk to it naturally wherever you are. Um, I see that as something that will probably um, be adopted pretty naturally once it becomes more.
0: What What do you think is the the number one capability that, that these types of entities would need to have uh, for them to, to really be a game changers?
1: Well, common sense. Um, but that's such a, it's a hard term to define, and it's a hard. Uh, so basically, just an, an everyday understanding of how the world works, both the physics of it and the, the psychology and social aspects of it. Um,
0: You'd you probably have to throw some magical thinking in there. No? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think if it had
1: common sense, it would probably be superstitious and have religion and all that sort of, sort of stuff. Um, but so there's some researchers working on giving AI common sense. Um, but to have real common sense might require having an entity that is as intelligent as we are. Um, but if it could at least demonstrate more um, more sort of signs of common sense, just a little bit more, um, like if you could say, which is bigger, a, a, a jumbo jet or a ping pong ball, um, and it could okay, like a yeah. jet. No. Man,
0: I have a few bonus questions that I asked all the, yeah. the guests on the, this podcast. Um, there, I mean, you can you can are under no obligation to answer any okay. of them. You can you can go into them or you can just do a yes or no, whatever you prefer. But let me just ask you: um, What is something that you used to believe that you no longer believe?
1: Um, well, I used to believe that there was a god. Um, and then I no longer believe that. Okay.
0: Uh, if you could allocate a trillion dollars to research in a specific area, what area would that be?
1: Um, intelligence. Uh, and that could artificial be... Artificial or organic? Either one, if you want me to be more specific. Um, artificial. Because I think that could I think there's there's more we'd have more leverage there right now. Um, and then there's more room for growth there right now, which could then feedback and help us understand human intelligence and everything else in the world. Right, right. Solving yeah, cancer. There probably and,
0: is more room for growth there. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, the next one's easy for you, probably. Free will, illusion, or real? Uh
1: free will in the sort of technical, in the strict sense, illusion, um, in the sense that everyone sort of uses in everyday language, real. Okay. So, right, okay, that's, that's, that's an
0: answer. Okay, have you ever had an experience that you at the time perceived as supernatural? Um,
1: not in recent memory um there are probably things where things felt like a weird coincidence and it was like oh if i believed in magic i would probably read something into this um uh, but i can't actually think of any concrete examples right now
0: okay gotcha gotcha right um any life-changing books that you read that you want to recommend to the audience
1: um a brief history of time was Maybe the most life-changing book. I, that's, the, I, that's the book that I read when I was around 10 and sort of led me to question religion and then start to um, read a lot of science. And right. Of science.
0: Stephen Hawking, right?
1: Yeah. Right. Okay, awesome.
0: And uh, so I have a, a legacy question for you. So this is ask, asked by the previous guest on the podcast. Uh, okay. Is there something faster than light?
1: Tachyons. What on earth is that? It's the name of a particle that's faster than light. I don't think they exist, though. Um, okay, so, so it's a theoretical construct. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Is there anything faster than light? Um, depending on how you conceive it, the expansion of the universe in certain parts. Do you're saying... Entropy. is... okay. I think uh, yeah, the expansion. Okay. So it it depends on how you define speed. Like the the expansion of of space, the stretching of space time. Um, if that were embedded in space, in like another a meta space, right? Then that would be faster than light. So the dark energy is. Is forcing the the stretching of space time to accelerate, such that may, either now or or in the distant future, things that are distant from us, the light from them, could never even theoretically reach us, right? Because the space between us is spreading, is expanding at a faster rate than the light that is traveling right to us from it.
0: Okay, I don't, I don't know if that's helpful to the person who asked the question, but that's, that's a great answer nonetheless. <laughs> okay, so now I'm asking you for a legacy question. Uh, it, the question just is, which single question would you like more than anything to have the answer to?
1: Um, uh, let's see. Um. Uh, this is a big. What did Elon Musk say when he was asked this? Uh, he was asked this in an interview, and he said oh, me into strain. Oh. I don't remember what it was. Um. Okay. What? How about this? What should I do with my life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I'm pretty happy with my own plans for my life, but maybe I'm completely wrong and maybe there's something else that I should be doing that I haven't thought of.
0: Okay, so you do realize I'm going to ask this to the next guest on the podcast.
1: Yeah, are you going to give the person any information to to answer that? Yeah, so that's... um,
0: It's sort of up to you, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, are you going to say, okay, here is... So the previous guest was, you know, Matthew Hudson and...
0: Yeah, what, I probably what,
1: would say that, and yeah. like say a little bit about me and then what should he do with his life? Is that how it's going to go or should I ask or should I propose another question that will be more universal where the answer will be more universally I mean
0: if you do propose another <laughs> question that's what I'm I'm going to do but otherwise I'm going to ask the next guest in the detailed detail you
1: um I'll be very very curious to hear what a stranger thinks I should do with my life.
0: It's interesting. All right, man. I mean, I, I can't, there's so many things we didn't cover. I've, I've really completely strayed from all the questions I have on my screen here. I can't believe that I interviewed you and you had a long sit down with uh, Deepak Chopra and we haven't even talked <laughs> about that. I mean, I, 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 I won't forgive myself
1: for that. I'm sure. But, um, Oh, here's our revision to my legacy question. Um, oh. okay. How should one decide what to do with one's life? that perfect right um that i think will be more useful to to everyone um okay so information about me um twitter silver jacket is my handle right what's up um, with the silver jacket i meant to ask you about that. so it's when i was a teenager i found this silver fireproof jacket it's like covered in aluminum um, and I just started wearing it, it has these cool buckles on it and corduroy color. I started wearing it as my, as my winter jacket. And it sort of helped me during this transition period of my life, um, sort of becoming more comfortable with myself. Um, and so I named my, my website is silverjacket.com. And, and, so but that, that's like a, uh,
0: I mean, that's, uh, there seems to be so many meta references in that there's a silver lining in that, but there's also, uh, magical belief in it almost right
1: i know this like yeah this totem almost right. stretches back to my youth
0: right uh-huh. all right matt really a pleasure talking to you i'm gonna leave a link for your book and i'm gonna demand that the audience <laughs> checks out your book it was really a great read um, entertaining and informative I mean, a healthy mixture of both and uh links for all your other mm. stuff as well and uh yeah thank you so much have a great day
1: well thank you so much it was a lot of fun